0: We come to this text, it's, it's John chapter eight. It begins in verse 12. And the context of what's happening, we've looked at for weeks now, which is that Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was this outrageous, we could even say, uh, it, was, uh, it was a block party in the temple courts where the people of God celebrated God's provision both past and present and prayed for the future that God would, in his greatness and in his grace and in his might and in his power, that the Lord would provide for the children of Israel just like he did in the wilderness. And there were these two great events that happened as the people celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. One of them was this water ceremony. Boston accents coming out there. Hi, guys from across the United States. It's water. It's W-A-T-E-R. So there was this water (laughs) ceremony. I can't even get it out (laughs) now. This water ceremony. There we go. Yeah, there we go. And the priests, thousands of priests would be celebrating and worshiping the Lord. And they would form a procession and go out the court of the Gentiles through the water gate down to the pool of Siloam. They take these golden pitchers and dip them in the water and carry them back. And then we come to the, the last day of the feast. There's no, there's no water being poured out. You look at John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drank. We follow the narrative that after that day, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had a plan to trap Jesus. And in their depravity, they set up this woman. They caught her in the act of adultery. The guy escaped somehow through the back door somehow. And they throw this woman at Jesus' feet. And Jesus deals with the injustice by dealing with the hearts of these men. And he says to them, if you're without sin, what does he say to them? Can you cast the first stone. And from the, from the eldest to the youngest, they file out and no one's left. The next day after that happens, Jesus is still sitting in the court of the women. Matter of fact, the text tells us that he's by the treasury in verse 20. That's where they have these fluted golden flutes. And remember the woman with the, the two pennies, the two copper mites, she throws them in there and Jesus says, oh, this is the one that is really given. This is the one that's really worshiped me. And so Jesus is sitting in the court of the women and the day's growing dark and the feast is past and the great four candelabras, candlesticks, they're, they're not lit. If you remember, there were four of them. They were seventy feet tall. We were on a, Nancy and I were on a walk the other day, and she asked me a question about the candelabra. She goes, "Well, Pastor Ed, how did they light them?" I said, what? There's always one with the pesky questions. And we looked at the trees. You ever see a 70-foot tree? Some of you live in Pinehurst in Hillbilly, Billy Ricca. They have 90-foot, 100-foot pine trees in all places called Pinehurst. <laughs> Can you imagine? I have no idea. A good Catholic friend of mine came up to me after the first sermon. He goes, well, they must have one of those big, long poles, you know, that they used to light. <laughs> like, get away from me. <laughs> but the day is growing dark. And there was a, this is not part of the biblical text, but there was someone there by the name of Nancy that said, oh, it's getting dark. Do you think? It's getting dark. Do you think they'd light the candelabras again? And Jesus is, Jesus is in the court of the woman, women and he's sitting down and he's just talking to the people. He's not, he's not yelling at them. He's just sitting and making eye contact with them and talking to them. And do you know what happens when you sit? It changes the relationship between, like right now, between you and I. Like when I was a young guy, I used to sit and preach because I thought it was cool. Now I'm an old guy. I sit because I have to. No. But it, it changes the relationship because he's not preaching at them. He's simply talking to them. And who is he talking to? He's talking to the most educated people of the day. He's talking to the scribes, the people that could read and write, the people that studied the Torah. They weren't like, they weren't, I don't want to pick on Billy Rickett too much, so They could read and write. (laughs) (laughs) And they knew the law. And they wanted and they were focused on one thing. And that was to kill Jesus. And Jesus sits. And as it's getting dark. And there's no candelabra lit. He says this, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What are the implications for this verse? Well, first you'll note that Jesus chooses to use the language of divinity. He chooses to use language that self-discloses him as who? Remember the burning bush in Moses? And God identifies himself as who? I am? I mean, you saw the movie with Charlton Heston, Right? I am who I, I am. And Jesus immediately confronts the religious leaders of the day with an absolute claim to deity, which will go, not go unchallenged, as we're going to see in a minute. Secondly, the second implication is that Jesus claims to be the light of the world. Come with me to Genesis chapter 1. It's the first book of the Bible. First chapter. First couple verses. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. What's the implication? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, And void and what? Darkness. Without Jesus, the world is a dark, dark place. Without Jesus, there's no light. Without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no direction. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. The Old Testament speaks of the implications of seeing and knowing that God is light. In Psalm 27, 1, God, uh, the psalmist writes, God is his people's light. He is their grace and he is their peace. How do we get that light and how do we get that grace and how do we get that peace? Well, the text links following Christ as the access point, as the key that brings his light into our life. Come back to the text and look at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever does what? Whoever follows me. And see, there is this intentional aspect on our part that as we follow after him, he is our light. It's out of that that relationship with the Lord that He is a light to the people. He is our joy. He is our peace. It is in following Him that we find the deepest areas of our life that are that are unsatisfied. As we we could go back to John chapter four. We could go to seven. Is that as we follow Him, He fills us with the living water, that water that the woman at the well longed for that deeply satisfies us. As we follow him in the midst of life's ups and downs and life's brokenness, we find our healing, we find our peace, we find the only one that satisfies the longing Of our heart. What are the implications? Well, they don't go unchecked. Verse 13 says this So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. And the Bible student in me goes, What? And the Greek word comes to my mind, doofus. Why not ask, why not ask I am about this light? Why not ask him more about it? Why not exegete it? Why not explore it? Why not understand it? But they knew this is the point I don't want you to miss. Because it, it's, it's remarkable what's going to happen to these guys, is these were the experts, and Jesus' claim to deity did not go unnoticed. How did Jesus reveal himself? What language did he use? He's the very language that God chose to reveal himself at the burning bush I am. And they challenge him on it. And so from 13 to 21, Jesus gives them the rebuttal seven times. Seven times, Jesus says the same thing to them. And it appears like it's not working. Seven times, Jesus says, the authority I have, the way I speak, what I do, how I do it, the witness that you seek is found in one person. Seven times, he describes that person our name's that person, and that person is who? God the Father. He says, my fa-, and he said, all along he saying, my Father is working, I am working. My Father is speaking, and I am speaking. And the authority that I come to you with is not my own authority, but I come as the Son of God. I am the light of the world the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, I come and I speak, and my Father's authority. I don't think Jesus was as animated as I am right now. He sat and he spoke to their hearts, and then something happened between the lines and between the verses. And that something was the Holy Spirit came to these intellectual, brilliant men of their day and softened their heart. Jesus sees the softness of their heart, and he penetrates that with truth. Take a look at verse uh, 24. Jesus says... I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe, look what he says again, I am, he, you will die in your sins. And he confronts them with the truth like he did back in chapter 7, verse 28. He says to them, you do not know God. Now that that would be like, you know, if we put it in our context, that would be like you going and telling someone that has an MDiv and a demon, not a demon, but a doctor in ministry or a PhD, it'd be like you going to tell that dude, you don't know God. And it shook them. And it broke them. And in their, in their muddle, they get sarcastic. You ever, <laughs> it's kind of the default behavior for many people. You get sarcastic. You get nervous. You start cracking jokes. You get sarcastic. You start trying to shift the pressure, offer yourself onto the other person. Look what they did. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them. And Jesus says to them, you're just a little dull. I am who I've been telling you who I am all along. Come back to the text. They didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, and once again, come back to the text. So Jesus said to them, "When, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. What is Jesus looking forward to, speaking towards in the future? He's speaking about the cross, his sacrificial work on the cross who is jesus speaking to he's speaking to the religious leaders particularly the scribes who know what jesus is talking about jesus is talking about numbers 2119 it's referenced in john 3:14 unless this when the son of man is lifted up he will do what he will draw all men to himself and the scribes connected it That the cross spoken, the cross of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work, what happened in the hearts of the religious people, what happened in the hearts of the scribes is that the Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin and in verse 30, as he was saying what? As he was saying these things, many, many of these religious people did what? They believed in him. What's the application for us today? In the last eighteen months, there's been a lot of messages across the across the uh, wire, so to speak. There's been a lot of messages that have have demanded that the church speak. But none of those messages, although worthy they may be, none of those messages changes culture, and none of those messages changes the heart. None of those messages are transformational. None of those messages lead to lasting peace, none of those messages lead to brotherly harmony. What is the message that saves and transforms and will always save and will always transform and will always bring forth the righteousness of God within his people? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is that cross It is that cross that won the hearts of those religious leaders. Come with me to First Corinthians chapter one for a minute and reflect on Paul's words as we consider the application to us today. First Corinthians chapter one, verse seventeen. For Christ did not send me to baptize. But to do what? To preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It is a very simple message. God so loved the world, he sent his son. John the Baptist recognized him and said, behold, what? Who? Behold, say it with me. Behold the lamb of God who takes away sins of the world. He lived a pure and sinless life. He went to the cross. The lamb of God went to the cross. He died He took the penalty and the wrath of God for sin. He was buried on the third day and he did what? He arose from the dead and he ascended into the the Father and he sent the Spirit to dwell within the hearts of those that turn in repentance and believe in Jesus Christ. That changes hearts. How does it happen? Well, it's a visual mystery. Nicodemus was wondering, well, how does that happen? And Jesus goes, it's like the wind, Nicodemus. It is the gospel proclaimed. It is the gospel believed that brings forth that new birth. Paul says it in A little bit different way, seeing you're in 1 Corinthians, come with me to chapter 2. And I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except who? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, Conway, that's a very narrow message. But that's the message that sets people free. That's the message that saves broken marriages. That's the message that heals broken hearts. That's the message that brings harmony and peace. And that's the message as we have received grace, we become dispensers of grace to the people within our sphere of influence. Jesus The days growing dark. The people around him. He's sitting in the court of the woman. And he simply says to them, speaks to them, doesn't preach to them. Oh, one last thing. There's no miracles. There's no signs and wonders. There's simply this. I am the light of the world. There's simply an invitation of grace. Follow. And I will pour and give you the Spirit. So out of your innermost being, rivers of living water will flow out. This message really is not for Sunday morning. This message is about Monday morning. Or some of you have to work this afternoon. This message is about Monday morning. What's your messaging? What's your communication with the people that are in your sphere of influence? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's the message. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning. Lord, we are so in need of, of your light in this, in this world we live in. We're so in need of your direction, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray, fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your joy and fill us with your hope and fill us with your peace so when the waters flow out of us they would be waters that speak forth and bring forth your grace in the world around us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the bread of life. We thank you for Jesus, the light of the world. Lord, fill us with your spirit that we could offer that grace to the people in our life, Lord, we pray. And so we remember you, Lord, and we take this bread and we break it. Let's eat together. We take this cup, Lord, and we say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving our sins and cleansing us by your blood, your free gift to those that turn, repent, and believe in you, Lord. Lord, as we drink, Lord, may we give you thanks for your work on the cross, and may we proclaim that work with passion and grace and power, we pray. Let's drink together. Lord, we lift up our prayers to you today and we pray for our brother Mike Segul that, Lord, you would see him through this trial that he's going through and, Lord, that you'd bring your healing to him and, Lord, that you'd use the medical workers, the medical professionals, to do, do a mighty work in Mike's life, Lord. We lift Alana up to you who's facing facing ear surgery this coming week, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you'd bring uh, your healing to her. We lift up our sister Paula Hallis to you, Lord, and pray that as she's recovering from back surgery, Lord, that you'd bring your your restoration to her along with Steve and his pain and his nerve pain. (laughs) And we thank you for what you're doing in Dottie Milton's life, step by step, a great desire to come home, and we would just, along with Dottie and Ken, say, bring Dottie Milton home, Lord, that she might be with her family once again. While we lift up our hearts to you, that we would be desirous and passionate about Christ and the cross of Christ, and that we could be dispensers of grace in our day, and in our time, I pray, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, let's try those announcements again. Dan DiAmato doing this outreach in two weeks. <laughs> the seventh. And so he, if he, he'd appreciate your participation in that. So God bless you. Thank you for... Being with us this morning, we want to give a shout out to Joe Perello. As you see, our sanctuary is starting to take shape again, and we're, yeah, we're, we are extremely happy about that. And we want to say thank you to the folks that are worshiping at home. You're still our largest congregation. And if we can help you, just reach out, reach out to us through our website, or you can give the church office a call. Uh, at four five eight three three nine two nine seven eight. So God bless you. Ben's going to come and uh, close us this, this morning.